This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. I want you to continue to remember as we go to the book of Exodus something that's really important to us, and that is as we're reading Exodus, there is an element to it that is historic, right? So there is history involved in this. These are events in history that happened. So we believe that God did these work in history, and you're going to see him reminding that there is a historic reality to it, but there also is in our past a present revelation of what is happening now. And in that future past reality, there's also a prophetic call. That this book of Exodus is not just a recounting of what took place in Egypt. It's also a revelation of what could be happening now and a prophetic call of where we could be going if we're not listening to the voice of God. When you approach Scripture, there is a posture that we are supposed to take, and that is we constantly read Scripture through our lens. When you think you're reading Scripture objectively, you're not. We're all coming from a place. We're all reading it from a perspective. But we're constantly trying to read ourselves into a story in two roles. We love to put ourselves in the Savior role, We love to put ourselves in the victim role, but none of us read ourselves in the Pharaoh role or the Egyptians. As we approach a text like this, my prayer would be that we ask the Spirit to reveal to us in our hearts what is He speaking to His people and that maybe He might be showing us the ways in which we are are, are victims or the ways in which we are being sent into places to bring about deliverance. Or it could be He's showing us our Pharaoh-ness, our Egyptian-ness. And as God reveals it to us, this is what it takes. Not me screaming it at you, although I will. But me and you and I praying that the Spirit would open our eyes and open our ears to hear. Would you allow me to pray that with you today? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do what only you can do as we approach your word. I pray that you would till the soil of our distracted hearts. That you would unclog the distractions of our ears and open up our ears to hear from you. God, we need your word. Move by your spirit. Open our eyes. Let us see. Let us come to you and respond to your voice. Spirit of God, move in ways that only you can. In this place, we, we proclaim, God, All authority and power belongs to you. Wisdom and might belongs to you. We come to you. Speak, and we will listen. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You've missed a lot if this is your first week, but I'll try to catch you up, but won't be able to. Here's where I would encourage you to do is read Exodus outside of this room. 
stay up, maybe read beforehand, because Wayne put on online where we're going to be next week. Read the chapters. Today we're covering two chapters. No way I can read it to you. I will be highlighting points and telling the narrative, but I would encourage you to read it. The other thing I would say is this. Those uh, spoken words or poems or whatever, we have some gifted brothers and sisters in this place who are putting together some of the most top-notch poems and spoken words that I've ever heard. And Melissa, you destroyed that today. Thank you so, 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 so much. I am so thankful for the meditation that other brothers and sisters are doing on this text. Hear what God is saying to his church. So read beforehand. There's a, a quick narrative. It op- the book opens up saying they forgot Joseph. A king rose up who forgot Joseph, forgot the story. So what happens is they start seeing these people who've been in the land for a long time, the Israelites, who are now just Egyptians, if you will. They're a part of the country. They're a part of the history. They're a part of the story. But people have forgotten, and all of the sudden, what takes place is they are seen as slaves, as illegals. Now they become oppressed and used for slave labor. They cry out. They pray. They're also attacking through post, post, uh, post-birth abortion. And they're, they're going after the babies and the boys. And they're going after those who, they would say, let's do population control. And all of a sudden, with inside of that, God uses midwives, Israelite midwives, and an Egyptian princess to protect this one that God has put a call on named Moses. Moses was raised in, in, in a very unique way, but when he gets to this place where he sees these injustices, he tries to take it into his own hands and kills an Egyptian. And then tries to do peacemaking and is confronted by it and runs from Egypt in fear. But Hebrews calls it actually he left in faith. God was leading him. And in the desert, Wayne covered this last week, God met him in a burning bush and had a calling on his life and made very clear, here's what you're going to do. And he said, really? And he argued and he doubted and he asked for help. God gave him Aaron, and Aaron became a prophetic role, a mouthpiece. And now we find ourselves in verse 1 of chapter 5, where they are finally going to Pharaoh. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. This is extremely important. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Now, instead of Moses operating in a position of, I am going to kill, and I'm going to bring peace, and I'm going to be the deliverer, he comes and goes, God told me to tell you this. This is a different posture. Instead of taking this into our own hands, he's realized when he does it through his own strength, it can't happen. And now he is operating, even as he's been wrestling, in a different position. Now, this is why it's important for us to understand what faith is. Faith is a lot like a child being told to go to their other brother and sister. Here's here's what I would mean. If I look at my youngest daughter, who already has a bunch of sass, and I say, go get your oldest brother, who's 10, 12 years older than... uh, 10 years older than her, would say, go to Kairos and, and go get him and tell him to get over here. So she runs with 
her swagger and just gets in his face and goes, Dad said, get in there now. Now she might even add, I'm not there. She might even add, or he'll spank you. I don't know, you know. She's got all the swag. Kairos looks at her, and if he sees her, he would go, who are you? But when he sees her and she says, dad says, he's not obeying her. He's obeying me. He's afraid of the one who sent her. Not her. And when we operate in our own strength, and we see our weakness and frailty, we don't understand. Moses could not move until he realized, when I go, I just got to say, Dad said. This is what the Lord told him to say. And we have to understand, faith is this reality, hearing and obeying. It's trusting in God, hearing his voice, and obeying what he said. Faith comes by Hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith leads to obedience. This reality of faith, trusting in God, is our opening of our ears to hear his voice. Even in the midst of us arguing and doubting and struggling, our authority does not come from our words, our strength, our power. So what he does is he finally gets to the place where he says, Dad says, but he doesn't like what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Now he's asking for something. He is asking, he's telling Pharaoh, let him go so they can go out for three days and worship their God. Sacrifice to him. And Pharaoh says, who's God that I should obey him? And this is hard for us to understand because often we think when we go to those who God tells us to go to and say, God says, we expect that they're going to respond, oh, God said it, I better do it. Even though God said to, to Moses in the last chapter, go to him, it's not going to work, he expected it to work. I think we get so shocked when we speak in the name of the Lord and the world we live in says, who's the Lord? And why should I listen to him? <laughs> it also should be a revelation that the children of Israel have lived in this land for some 400 years and this land, this Pharaoh, doesn't know who the Lord is. Which could show us that the children of Israel stopped telling the story. They stopped living into the story. They stopped believing the story. And this reality leads Pharaoh to something that is extremely different. He goes, listen, you all are here to work for me. You aren't here to worship your God, right? So take away their straw and make their work harder because this is all about economic progress. Everything's about economic progress. It's not about worship. And here's what happens. When you are in a land or when you serve a king or have a leader or are in a country that only cares about economic progress, you're only valued by your work. 
You are only as good as how much labor you accomplish. When it's all about money, when it's all about economic progress, what ends up happening is we place value on people by their job and by how much work they do and how much they accomplish for our system of economic progress. So we give ourselves the right to do what Pharaoh has done, the Egyptians have done, and said if they've got time to worship, they got time to collect their own straw. They should go out and work harder. Make it harder on them and push, down the, put, push it down on them hard. Don't, don't let them, because they are here to cause us to advance. Economic progress tells us this. In a land where money is God, worshiping the true God is called laziness. Here's the reality. When you live in a system where only value you find or the only value you're told is how much money you make, isn't it interesting that Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll either serve God or Satan, money. Isn't it amazing he doesn't say God or Satan? He says God or money. And we live in this competitive name where people get into this reality where they feel this weight. They're told with everything in them, you should not worship because worship is laziness. Work brings value. <laughs> and so they are restricted from worshiping and called lazy. Pharaoh goes, listen, they start complaining and they come in and they go, no, it's not about you going out and worship. You are lazy. Can I just tell you this? How many of you place value on people or give yourself room to look down on somebody based upon how hard they work for the system? I can't love somebody who's poor. I can't love somebody who doesn't work. I can't love somebody who do I don't see their value. I don't see how they help our country. I don't see anything that they bring to us. We should just get rid of them. Because all that matters to us is how valuable they are to our God, money. We don't see the image of God in them because they don't work hard enough for our system. And we call them lazy and elevate ourselves. God calls us to serve and care for and see and love the poor. God calls us to serve the outcast, the marginalized. And what do we do? We build a different narrative. They're lazy. Here's where we find ourselves. And inside of that system, it's not what we're being told. It's also what we believe. You see, so often we live inside of these kinds of systems of economic progress, and what we end up saying is, look at what the leaders are telling us, and we groan and we complain, and look at the world, it's consumerism, and look at all these types of things. And as soon as our work becomes more difficult, our idols get confronted. You see, because the people of Israel started to realize that life will often get more complicated before you experience freedom. If you're praying for freedom, if you're praying 
for freedom, what you have to see is the enemy is not going to let you go easy. This is what Mike Wilkinson said in his book called Redemption. Which is more painful, to live without hope or catch a glimpse of hope only to have it disappear? Often this is the experience of the eve of redemption. Certainly God is not a fickled redeemer. He is faithful. Can you say amen? But if we expect redemption to be mainly about comfort, we will be disappointed when at least for a season it brings more pain. See, what Wayne's going to talk about next week is that God destroying and all the plagues throughout Exodus are a, an attack on the gods of Egypt. But what we're saying here is that it also is a destroying of the gods of Israel. And their God is comfort. In delivering you, God wants to show you that this manner of life, which may be all you know, is actually death. He wants you to walk away, but walking away from the only life you know can feel like death. This is risky. It may feel like it's getting worse before it's getting better. You see, what these children had been praying for, Israel had been praying and groaning, and God heard their cries for deliverance, and he heard them, and what he was bringing was freedom, but what he exposed is they actually wanted comfort. When we aim in life for ease and comfort, freedom is obnoxious. Freedom is obnoxious. And the reality is we live in a country, if we're honest, promises comfort and does not even pursue true freedom. What God wants to bring for his children and what God is going to bring for his children is freedom. And this freedom, you have to understand, is not just comfort. If we're honest, we don't want freedom. We want ease and comfort. What we see in this is the children of Israel respond to the extra work and they come and they say this. Actually, this is, let me give you this quote too and then I'll, I'll read what they said. In the grip of sin does not loosen easily. Chances are that sin has been some form of refuge for you and some means of comfort. But the comfort has merely been a bait or a hook and now, being real, now reeling you in to be enslaved. In delivering us from sin, God is wanting to break the chains of slavery and beckon you to freedom. It's not going to be comfortable when he's breaking the chains. It's not going to be comfortable when all of these gods are being confronted in your land and in you. Here's what they said. After this first cry for deliverance, they left Pharaoh and came to Moses and said, thank you so much for standing up for us. No, no, that's not what happened. They said, may the Lord look at you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious. The Pharaoh and his officials have put swords, you have put swords in their hands to kill us. You are trying to kill us. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I thought it was interesting. Uh, uh, Melissa and I didn't even talk before today. And, and, and she put in there, some of you want to, all want to blame Aaron and Wayne. And I was like, whoa, did she? Well, <laughs> It's amazing that when you get into a place 
of calling people into freedom who only want comfort, you will quickly become their enemy. I cannot tell you how many times in just trying to lead into places of deliverance and just into places of freedom, people who are in the midst of trauma and pain and experiencing true things in life, you are facing oppression and victimization and you are facing real pains and struggles in life. And the minute you try to step into freedom, the enemy clamps down and it becomes really uncomfortable and uneasy. And the first person you look at is the first one who said, you can be free. Can I just tell you this, church? If you really want to pastor and lead and call for freedom, if you're seeking the approval of man, you will quickly become angry at God. Because nobody will be happy with you. I'm just going to be real. We're already here, right? Many of us in this place have cried out for freedom and the moment God sends some people to start pointing you towards him and saying God's going to bring that freedom, you have quickly done and lived in this same way. You're making it harder and you're trying to kill us. And you've made enemies of those who are trying to help. It quickly becomes the reality of our lives. Mine too, friends. Because what the enemy is trying to do is show us, no, I've actually been helping you do what you're only good at doing, and that's making bricks. I can make it a lot harder for you. We start going, you know what? Actually, freedom doesn't sound good. Just straw. Just paper. Just give me paper. If I could get money and be comfortable and just have paper I'll sell freedom this reality of what Christ is bringing us into even affects the way we see those God sends to deliver us and there are many like Moses who respond the way he did Moses goes and goes forget you all no he doesn't do that he goes to God and goes see they don't even listen to you. Your own people. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. And he becomes angry at God and just dumps all of his anger and goes, this is not working. You tell me to go there. Nobody's listening. Now your people are mad at me. And all of these things are good. He just dumps all of his anger on God. And God responds the way he did a couple of chapter goes, chapters ago. Almost identical. God is confident in who he is even when we're not confident in who he is. Church, you, you have to hear this because when we go to God with our anger and our doubt and our struggle, here's what we expect him to do. Get angry at us. We expect him to go, how could you not believe me? What are you doing? You, I forget you. Get out of my... No, 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 no. What he does is shows us who he is and shows us the confidence he has in himself. Listen to what he says in, uh, in, in chapter 6. You can look there or just listen to me read. Listen to what he says. And the Lord said to Moses, it's going to sound like what Wayne was preaching last week. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because my mighty hand he will let them go. Because of my hand he will drive out his, his country. God has also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But by my name I did not 
make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them and gave them the land uh, of Canaan where they reside as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard their groanings in Israelite and, and the Egyptians enslaving. I will remember my covenant. I am the Lord. I will free you. I, they're my people, not your people. I am the Lord. I've brought them out. I'll take them out of bondage. I will give them a possession. I am the Lord. We come to him with doubt and anger and struggle. And God doesn't even confront our doubt, anger, and struggle. He actually reminds us of who he is. He reveals to us that if we're trying to find confidence in ourselves, this won't happen. It only comes when we have a revelation and have confidence in who He is. Because God handles our doubts with patient repetition. How many times has Moses doubted questioned and gone after God. You don't know what you're doing. And every time God repeats himself. Let me tell you again. I'm the Lord. I've been doing this for a long time. I created you. I've got a plan. I put these words in your mouth. I'm bringing about deliverance. I know what I'm doing. Even when you doubt me, what you need is confidence, not in yourself but in me. Church, here, here is, here is a, a big concern that I would have. We spend a lot of time diving into our depravity and trying to find who we are. And what we really need is a revelation of who he is. You missed it. <laughs> Write it down, meditate on it, go after it. Because the reality is, revelation of God gives us the confidence in these types of times. We're constantly digging into the darkness and brokenness of our anger and our fears and our worries. And we think if we go to God with our angers and doubts, he's going to turn on us in anger. But our Father repeats himself over and over and over patiently repeats himself. He is going to do the work. He hears his children's cry. He sees their affliction. He knows their pain. He brings freedom. He brings life. Church, my role as a pastor, our role as the family of God is not to show people who they are, but to reveal to people who he is. You need to know him. You need to hear him. You need to come to him with your doubts and your fears and your worries. You need to run to him. You see, Moses ran to him. And dumped out all of his anger and worry and fear. And God, his father, heard him. And what he did is reminded him of what he was capable of. And what he was doing. And the interesting thing, he reiterated the same thing. Here's what he said. Go back to Pharaoh. And tell him again. And it's not going to work. 
This messes with us. Because we often like to justify our disobedience because we don't think it's working. We love to say, I tried your way, God, but it's not working. I tried love, and it didn't change him. I tried patience, and it didn't work. I tried forgiveness. I had to do it again. I tried repentance, and I stumbled again. I tried your way, and it does not work. (laughs) Even though we don't realize that because we live in a system that's all about supply and demand and all about work and production, we are so consumed with only doing things that bring about the increase we think it should have. We don't know what it's like to listen and obey. We have no clue. How many of us have seen the pain and struggle and injustice that is happening in the world around us and we continue to go after it and we take it into our own hands and pound away and pound away and nothing is working and we go, this doesn't work and we get tired. And God goes, you going to let me work through you? Fine, God, tell me what to say, I'll do it. Tell me what to do, I'll do it. Fine. And then we get into that and we go, I tried your way too. It doesn't work. Y'all, you need to hear me on this. It's not the realities of the things that are happening and the pressures of culture and world around us that we should be most concerned about. What we should be concerned about is those gods have become ours. We also take the same approach to our relationship with God where we think what he is doing, if it doesn't work, shouldn't, we shouldn't do it anymore. Even though he said to Moses, it's not going to work, Just do what I say. Here's where you have to hear me. God calls us to faithfulness. He's the one who brings about fruitfulness. We have been grasping for fruit since the garden. We want to take a hold of the fruit and make fruitfulness our job. We have been trying to manufacture fruit since the garden rather than abiding and bearing. We have constantly trying to bring about increase. How do I grow? How do I get bigger? How do I increase? How do I get more prosperity? How do I do this? This is the big deal. And God, if you can help me get there, then great. And he goes, slow down, go out in the wilderness for three days and just worship. And you go, feel lazy when I worship. It's not that they're telling you you're lazy. Many of you can't worship because all you can think about how unproductive you are. 
You can't pray. You can't listen. You can't sing a song of worship and adoration to him. You can't rest in his work because you don't feel like you're productive. And inside of these moments, he's saying, be faithful. And we're saying, I want to be fruitful. One plants, one waters. Only God brings the increase. Listen and obey, and God will do what only he can do. The reality of this is, in times of bondage and need, we need to stop trying to do what works, and we need to learn to listen and obey. Our strategies, our plans, our struggles, our fights for power, our admittance of we got to change this thing, the reality is, that's not in our hands to do. The people of God are not marked by productivity. They're marked by obedience. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the ones who go, look at what I did. Cast out demons. Look what I did. I was fruitful. He goes, I don't know you. You didn't listen to me. You didn't obey me. You haven't been abiding in me. You've tried to been producing this on your own. Church, when the Lord said to Moses, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be a prophet. See that? He's saying, you will be me, my representative. Aaron will be my prophet, my mouthpiece. It's not about them seeing you. It's about them seeing me. And whatever you say, whatever I command you, your brother, he'll tell it to him. Let Israel go. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We're going to cover this over the next couple weeks. Basically, it's this. He's not going to listen. It's not going to work. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, they will not listen to you. I want to encourage you with this. Hopefully this has been encouraging, but I want to encourage you with this. I relate to Moses and Israel and the Egyptians in so many different ways, but as I'm thinking through this journey of Moses, it sounds a lot like my own heart. I cannot tell you that when I stand in this pulpit and proclaim what I think God has been telling me, that I don't care what people say or think, because I do. I can't tell you how many insecurities and struggles and pains I have and how many times I've gone to the Lord in anger and doubt, and he's reaffirmed who he is to me. I cannot tell you how many times in the face of the struggles in this world I've felt alone and isolated and I've wondered if anybody else is seeing the things that I'm seeing. Is it happening? What's going on? I can't express the tiredness and the pain and the struggle. But I will tell you this. God has continued to be faithful to his word. Something that reminded me of this is that I thought... I had my footing underneath me a year ago. Everything felt like it just got crumbled. I, my career and 
all the things that I was working towards and all the things I was putting effort into, I felt like I was going to do it for the rest of my life. And I found myself in a small room in the Philippines. My dad, mom brought me out there. I found myself in there praying and just asking, Lord, what do I do now? Like, I don't have anything to do. I have a job. got these kids to pay for. And they eat a lot and they're getting bigger. I got this church and I, I love my church, but God, I don't know what it is, and, and, and here's what he did. He affirmed in me who he was, and he said, actually, I told you when you were 14 what you were supposed to be doing, and you're really only doing one of them, he said. And there's two other things that I've been telling you to do for a long time, and you won't do them, and every time you come back and pray, I keep telling you the same two things, and you don't do it. So let me just repeat myself. These three things. And I was overwhelmed not by his anger at me, but by his love and patience and kindness. I was overwhelmed by his timing and his place and how God unfolds in front of me these things. And some of them, especially the two that I felt the most I was ignoring, were deeply rooted in my insecurity and that no matter how many times I tried, I felt like I was failing. So I gave up on them. One of them may sound childish to you, and it is, because it's childlike. God has called me from a young age to sing, and I feel insecure and and uncomfortable, and, I, and I'm like, man, there's other people who can do it, and I just want to step into that place, and he keeps telling me, I'm not saying sing for people, I'm saying sing to me. Worship me. There's nothing like in front of Jesus for me to be able to just sing and adore him. It lifts my eyes from who I am, and it centers myself on who he is. So this morning, as I was preparing this sermon, he kept, I told you to sing this song, and I kept going, well, Micah's got prepared, and everything's good, and I don't want to. And so I said, all right, fine, I'm talking about obedience, I better obey. So I went and told, told Micah, I think the Lord wants me to sing this song over this congregation as a prayer. So here's what I would ask for you today that you would close your eyes and let the Spirit of God speak to you in whatever way He wants to. Here's what I know. When we open our ears to listen, our Father is speaking. It may be a whisper. It may be a conviction. It may be something that He's revealing to you. There may be things He's affirming. There may be areas. He's, he's a Father. He knows you. He sees you. And the reason this song came to my heart and mind is it's just a prayer for faith. It's a prayer to hear and listen and obey. My heart is glad that you are my Father. Adopted to you as sons and 
prayer. Sing it with me. My heart is glad to serve you as says, teach me the sound of your voice with the faith you respond to love you and teach me to follow you close with the faith you bestow to love you. Teach me the sound of faith to respond to love you and teach me to follow you close with the faith you bestow to love you. In that posture, we're going to open up the communion table. We're going to allow you to stay seated if you want to and just pray and listen. Maybe there's some things you need to write in your journal. Maybe there's some things God's specifically speaking to you that I want you to listen to. Maybe he's affirming some things that he's already told you. We'll open up the prayer room. There's there's uh, places at the altar if you want to kneel down. The, the, the communion tables are open, but spend time listening to the voice of your Father. And let him speak and rebuke the lie of the enemy that this is lazy and unproductive. The tables are open. Let's pray. Let's worship. Let's come to him. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.